Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There are some serious concerns about the security of the Prime Minister after Justin Trudeau was harassed by protesters as he tried to dine out last night. One officer was hurt in a scuffle outside a Chinatown restaurant where about 250 protesters had gathered. And that was the second incident involving the PM. Richard Zussman reports. Justin Trudeau, how many more babies have to be murdered until you will call a ceasefire? It's the Prime Minister's dinner where the main course's protests delivered tableside. Ceasefire now! Ceasefire now! After a day of political events, Justin Trudeau dining on personal time Tuesday evening at Vidges. Hands off my sister! The PM security detail moving protesters back and getting Trudeau out. Prime Minister apologizing to other diners and then talking with owner Vikram Vij before leaving. There should be some expectation, not necessarily of absolute privacy, but some capacity to, to just uh, uh, to be on their own or be uh, with friends. The PM then went to cocktail bar Bangira at Maine and Kiefer. Around 250 protesters showed up there as well and so did around 100 police officers. VPD saying they had no advance notice. A scuffle broke out and a police officer was hurt. She was assaulted by a protester who we believe uh, punched her in the face and uh, attempted to gouge uh, around her eyes. Yaka Markowitz was arrested and charged. Another protester was arrested for obstructing police. He was released without charge. Global News reached out to the groups who posted these videos online, but interview requests were turned down. Our officers responded with the intention of controlling the crowd, managing the crowd, facilitating a peaceful protest. Certain people within that crowd uh, engaged in unlawful behavior. Trudeau, no stranger to protest. This comes as his party continues to struggle in the polls. During the last election, right-wing truck convoy supporters hurled both insults and rocks. The challenge of being a centrist party in Canada is that he's criticized from the right and he's criticized from the left. The Vancouver police also noting there's been a surge of protests, both political and non-political this year, and the expectation is there will be more than 1,000 such events in 2023. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the PM. And Richard talked about uh, dropping polls, uh, Keith, and a new poll now yeah. indicates Trudeau's electoral chances are dropping even further. Yeah, the gap has never been as wide as it is now. Abacus data, the latest polling firm to release a poll, and it's very bad news for the governing Liberals. It shows the gap is widening between them and the front-running Conservatives. So now at 41% is the decided vote as the Conservatives. That's up two points from a poll a month ago. The Liberals going the opposite way, down a point. The gap is now 16 points. The NDP stuck at 19. They're not going anywhere in numbers. And the Greens continued to decline as well. Took a little deeper dive into the poll. Sophie, I can tell you the Conservatives now lead 
lead the Liberals by substantial margins amongst all age groups, including millennials. The millennial group was the one that got Justin Trudeau in the power, into power in the first place. Also leading uh, in the West, Ontario and British Columbia. In fact, an election were held now, the Conservatives are in a position to not only take uh, Liberal seats away, but also NDP seats here in British Columbia. So again, the Conservatives were riding high. The Liberals continue to be in freefall. Not sure how they get out of this decline. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. With hate-related crimes on the rise in B.C. and around the world, the provincial government is announcing new programs to help communities deal with it. Kristen Robinson has the details of a new helpline for victims and how it's being funded. As the conflict between Israel and Palestine continues, B.C. is seeing a rise in acts of hate and racism, including Muslim women attacked, a rabbi's home targeted with vandalism, and threats against the Jewish community. These acts of hate are completely unacceptable. No one should live in fear because of who they are. No one should be targeted because of a result of what's happening in the Middle East. The province announcing a new anti-hate community support fund for groups impacted by hate, including vandalism, while planning to finally roll out the racist incident helpline by next spring, three years after it was first promised. I would have liked to have seen this much sooner. Uh, but uh, we are moving forward with it uh, quickly. This trauma-informed phone service will be multilingual and provide a culturally safe platform for racialized people to report incidents and get support. I think these helplines are very important, especially for racialized people who feel even their language skills are, 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 are weak. Sometimes they're just afraid of how they're going to be able to convey it. The Premier says there is sufficient funding for 50 organizations, including places of worship, cultural community centers, and LGBTQ2S plus groups to receive up to $10,000 grants for security, graffiti removal, and property damage repairs in response to hate-motivated crimes. I think it's important to say, I just finished a meeting here with a child survivor of the Holocaust. When I hear from our child survivors that they're worried that this is happening again. It only illustrates how important it is for the province to be standing up in this way. I feel really scared for the community right now, uh, for the Jewish community, for the uh, Islamic community. Asian Canadians who were targeted by hate attacks during and post-pandemic say being complicit is not helpful. I think if you have, if you see hate, uh, you need to call it out full stop. Because if you don't, and being complicit, we don't want a repeat of history. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, the court battles are over, and now a former Hells Angels clubhouse in Nanaimo is coming down. As Kylie Stanton reports, while the government says it's a major blow to organized crime, not everyone in the neighborhood is happy to see it go. And with that, after more than 15 years of legal action, this Hells Angels clubhouse is no longer. One piece at a time, the province of BC says it's tearing down organized crime and those that profit from it. The message we are sending is organized crime. Um, you can run and hide, but we're going to take your assets. Back in April, the province came into legal possession of three properties, once used by the Outlaw Biker Club. Here in Nanaimo, this one in Kelowna, and in East Vancouver. 
a move that followed the B.C. Supreme Court ruling in favor of B.C.'s Civil Forfeiture Office, which has the power to seize personal or real property determined to be the proceeds of crime or used to commit a crime. The Hells Angels were unsuccessful in their appeals. We said we were going to confiscate uh, assets of criminal uh, activity. That's exactly what's happening. And that uh, I think this is a measure that the, uh, the public uh, support. But some in the area say the clubhouse has actually reduced the crime rate here. The neighborhood's gotten a lot better, which I appreciate. You don't see no break-ins or robberies and stuff like that around here, you know. Now there's concern the building's removal will only bring the activity back with a vengeance. Oh, it probably will. Yeah, it probably will. Probably will. They probably have Tent City in here now or something. It's a terrific price to pay for that belief, and it is a belief. The reality is the Hells Angels are the centre of organised crime in this community and have been for a long time. And I think the whole approach of civil forfeiture has been extremely successful. I encourage the government to do much more. BC's public safety minister says these seizures are only the beginning. The province collected $9.7 million through the civil forfeiture grant program last year alone. All of it redirected back into communities. And with this property and the two others now up for sale, it will soon be adding to that total. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And the B.C. government says some of the organizations that have received money from the Civil Forfeiture Grant Program deal with gender-based violence, crime prevention, indigenous healing, domestic violence, and child and youth advocacy. A warning about these next pictures. They might be disturbing for some viewers. Caught on video in Burnaby, the arrest of a man accused of assaulting an RCMP officer. It happened at about noon on Monday near Kingsway and McKay Avenue. Police say they were told about a man attacking people, trying to open the doors of both parked and moving vehicles and swinging a hammer. They say when an officer approached, the man attacked him and tried to take his gun. The officer managed to wrestle the man to the ground with the help of a bystander until more officers arrived. Anytime people see violence, uh, it's, it's not pretty. Uh, and anytime the police have to use, use uh, force, whether it's a low level of force or a high level of force, uh, we're, we're doing it to keep the public safe. And in this situation, uh, it, it might not be something everyone wants to look at. Uh, but the suspect was taken into custody safely. Uh, there were some minor injuries to a police officer, uh, but the public, the police, and the suspect all uh, ended the day safely. Police say the 46-year-old suspect has a history of violent offences in the Lower Mainland and was also taken to hospital for minor injuries. They are recommending a number of charges. And two people have been arrested following an altercation with Vancouver police officers at the Crab Park encampment this morning. VPD officers were on scene as park wardens were doing their daily sweep of the park to ensure bylaw compliance. Witnesses tell Global News the Rangers were trying to remove a man from one of the tents when he became aggressive and attacked the officers with a tent pole. As he was being taken into custody, a crowd formed around the officers and more police and more police officers rushed to the scene. A 26-year-old man and 31-year-old woman were arrested for assault. My understanding is there was a parks worker who was injured, a park ranger who was injured, 
as a result, um, and uh, at least one VPD officer who was assaulted. Our officers have been deployed as we have been on multiple occasions in multiple different locations, essentially to stand by and to keep the peace because we know that uh, when city workers or parks workers are uh, in the park, it can sometimes become volatile. The park board says it's not asking people to leave. Rangers are only there to ask people to obey the bylaws. The ABC majority on Vancouver City Council has defeated an attempt to densify Shaughnessy. The motion by one city councillor, Christine Boyle, would have directed staff to bring forward policies that could add more homes, shops and services to the wealthy Vancouver enclave with a focus on rental and non-market housing. Boyle argued densifying Shaughnessy could help address the city's housing crisis. But councillors with ABC Vancouver argued efforts are already underway to densify Vancouver's neighborhoods and city staff are already overwhelmed with work. Do I support sort of looking at this area for increased density? Sure. Do we need this motion? No, we don't. Not at all. And so then I have to wonder, is this just purely to divide the city? And, and, and we see, can see that in some of the tone of uh, comments that are being made about it. And I want to say as a counter argument, I actually think it's divisive to have a whole central neighborhood that is off limits to the vast majority of our residents. The current situation is, uh, is one of division. The motion was defeated in a 7-3 to three vote with only Boyle and the two Green Party councillors supporting it. Meantime, two other areas of Vancouver will no longer require parking minimums in new developments. Troy Charles joins us live with more on the areas that are affected and how council came to this decision. Troy. Chris, we're here talking everybody's favourite city politics issue, parking. Parking minimums, that is. You see, with any new development, a set amount of units requires a set amount of parking spots. But now, for any new building on the Broadway plan or in the West End, that is no more. Today, City Council unanimously approved the removal of parking minimum requirements for new developments in the West End and Broadway plan areas, effective January 1st, 2024. Back in 2019, minimum parking requirements were scrapped for all downtown developments except for the West End. This time around, the city says the West End and Broadway plan areas were chosen as most daily needs are within an easy walk, bike or transit trip and there is an excess of existing off-street parking spaces. Additionally, the city suggests this move will simplify and accelerate the application and review process for new developments and enable reduced underground construction, which can decrease costs, time and greenhouse gas emissions. It definitely is going to enable some projects to come forward that quite honestly wouldn't have been able to otherwise. We're seeing uh, an environment of increasing and escalating costs and hearing that rental projects have simply been put on hold because they're too difficult and too expensive to build. So we expect that it'll bring more projects forward. It will also make uh, getting those approvals faster and we know that time is money. Uh, so that, uh, that has a significant impact. Now, Chris, these changes doesn't mean these new developments can have zero parking spaces, accessible spots for people with disabilities, loading zones, bike spots, and visitor spaces will still be required. Back to you. All right, Troy, thanks very much. That's Troy Charles reporting. Well, two years after the atmospheric river and flood that paralyzed parts of the Fraser Valley, a milestone in highway repair work. How it should hold up better in bad weather 
That's next on the News Hour. I stood up and I walked across that gymnasium floor. It blew my mind. Made in BC technology that promises to be a game changer for people with spinal injuries. Plus, being in the city and walking the streets yesterday, it's, it brought back a lot of memories. Bo is back. How the Canucks' former captain feels about his first time in Vancouver since being traded. That's later in sports. Right now, though, you'll probably remember two years ago this week, an atmospheric river hammered southwest B.C., leading to some of the worst flood damage in the province's history. The city of Abbotsford suffered greatly and is still trying to get its flood mitigation plan off the ground. As Grace Key reports, not everyone is confident in the proposed solutions. At the Dykeman Cattle Company in Abbotsford, operations are back to normal after four feet of water came flooding onto the property two years ago. But the threat of another major flood still looms. They built the dikes up um, in the prairie, but that's about it. So that doesn't help our situation, right? Because the Nooksack water is what flooded us. So Just last month, BC and Washington State agreed to work together on flood risk reduction and habitat restoration for the Nooksack and Sumas watersheds. But many in the area agree there's only one solution. Start dredging rivers again. Dredge the Nooksack and straighten out the Sumas River. Make it bigger in a pump station if necessary. The city of Abbotsford passed a $3 billion long-term flood mitigation plan. Its urgent needs are an upgrade to the Barrowtown pump station, a new Sumas River pump station, and developing a flood storage area. They've asked the federal government for $1.6 billion. But we know that that is a big ask, so we're hoping that we get at least a $100 million announcement so that we can start the the, um, the Barrowtown resiliency getting that in place and then uh, and then continue to work on, on where we get the, the rest of the funding from. Highway 1 has also been a concern. The province says it's expanded the Fraser Valley Highway 1 improvement plan to include Highway 11 through the Sumas Prairie. Do we raise it? Do we add culverts? Do you take some land, you know, from the Sumas Prairie to absorb some of the water? Um, we're realistically probably 10 years out. The atmospheric river also washed out six bridges along the Coquihalla Highway, shutting down traffic between Hope and Merritt for weeks. Permanent repairs are now complete with climate-resilient bridges. So we're making these investments both uh, for safety of all British Columbians who use our transportation network, uh, but also uh, to make sure that goods movement uh, isn't impeded in the manner that it was. It was a hit the Dykeman Cattle Company felt two years ago. And for this third generation of dairy farmers, it's something they hope they'll never experience again. Grace Key, Global News. More frustration for a Langley farmer with yet another sinkhole on his property. The sixth one in as many months. As Cassidy Moscone shows us, it all started when Trans Mountain began drilling just across the street as part of its pipeline expansion work. As a turf farmer, Rob Rint is in the business of selling grass, not watching it disappear. I didn't get too close to it, just uh, in case anything was going to slough in, but um, it was fairly deep. It was about uh, 10 feet wide by about 10 feet deep. Tuesday's fresh sinkhole on the Langley farmer's property, not the first he's had to deal with. I know this is uh, number six 
for me. Rob believes it's directly linked to underground drilling going on across the street as a part of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion after five sinkholes appeared and after we first shared Rob's story in June, Trans Mountain sent experts to survey the land. They did some uh, ground penetrating radar and they, they gave the green light saying everything was good and then this happens. Rob believes it's also affecting his water supply. But the water didn't look like this before the drilling started? No, I've been here my whole life and we've never had issues with uh, the groundwater. He wants answers. It is a huge concern, right? Like, I, I, if I'm driving around in a tractor, right, or one of my brothers, or more importantly, my kids that drive around in golf carts and gators here. Because you have to have drilling fluid, etc., that can cause erosion of the sediments. It could be they're hitting zones that are like that, that are causing more erosion than they expected, and that that is causing the problem. So it's hard to prevent everything. In a statement, a Trans Mountain spokesperson blamed the sinkholes on weather conditions, including heavy rain, and said the pipeline installation is now complete. They vowed to employ further mitigation if required and to continue to monitor the situation. Rint now forking out for his own independent expert. Well, I want some reassurance that it's not going to happen again, right? Uh, a little more than last time because we're sitting here looking at... Uh, at a hole. <laughs> Cassidy Mosconi, Global News. A Toyota customer who's not happy with his new off-road truck. I was having difficulties uh, fueling my truck up. The recurring issue he blames on bad design and why he says he had to fix it himself. And thieves gallop away with a bronze statue from a local gallery. Why this was no easy heist. Good evening, and some good news here on the Port Coquitlam-Coquitlam border. Crews are doing the final clearing stages of a crash that has Westwood temporarily blocked just north of Low Heat Highway. Crews are on scene, and it's so heavily backed up for northbound traffic. Kermit Collision and Autoglass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermac, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Coquitlam. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you buy a vehicle branded for off-road use, you expect it to perform in parts of the province where there is no pavement. But one Toyota owner is finding out that's not always the case. No, his Toyota Tacoma off-road is giving him trouble he never expected. So let's bring in Consumer Matters' Andrew now for the details. Anne? Thanks, Chris. Craig Herman purchased his Toyota Tacoma off-road pickup truck for work. But soon after that purchase, he encountered a serious issue involving dust around the fuel system, made worse, he says, by Toyota Canada's response. Ultimately, Tacoma is built to take on anything in its path. That's what Craig Herman thought when he purchased his 2021 Toyota Tacoma off-road pickup truck. 
I drive approximately about 60-65% of the year on forest service roads or logging roads. The Castlegar resident purchased the Tacoma brand new for work, but in September of 2021, Craig says he was having issues fueling his vehicle. It was very difficult. The nozzle kept clicking off as though the truck, the tank was full. Craig says he took the truck into the local Toyota dealership to diagnose the issue, where it was determined dust from the Forest Service roads during the summer months was plugging the fuel venting system. It was actually polluting the charcoal canister, which would prevent you to put gas in. After blowing and cleaning out the vent holes and replacing the contaminated charcoal canister, Craig says the truck ran smoothly. But the same issue surfaced again exactly one year later. So he brought the truck into the dealership again. Toyota Canada said it's really not a warranty issue and that I had to pay the full price for the, uh, for the repair. It cost Craig about $1,400. To avoid another big bill, Craig says he got proactive, asking the dealership this past July to blow out all the vents. But in September, the fuel issue started again. Craig eventually took his truck to an independent mechanic where it was discovered five vent holes at the top of the fuel intake under the wheel well were getting plugged with dust. That's when Craig got creative, wrapping household furnace wraps around the holes, zap strapping them around the fuel piece. It worked. All the dust was being caught on the outside on the bottom. Craig reached out to Toyota Canada about what he says is an engineering flaw with the truck, asking for compensation. But Toyota denied his request. He says he was told he wasn't driving within the spec of the owner's manual. You see their commercials where they're driving up mountains and hillsides and through mud and all over the place, um, which is true off-road. It's very disappointing. Consumer Matters reached out to Toyota Canada and received the following statement. The vehicle mentioned is being consistently used in severe conditions. The charcoal canister is doing what it has been designed for by trapping and absorbing fuel vapors. The repair at $1,400, somebody's not thinking. This is not a, a new design truck. It's, you know, cannot be the first time this issue occurs. And they should have implemented the field fix before reaching their hand into his wallet. And while Craig has figured out a temporary fix, the true test will be next September after driving for several months on and off dusty roads. And we did reach out to the local Toyota dealership, but we were referred to Toyota Canada. So far, Craig says he's had to pay close to $2,500 out of his own pocket for this issue, and it could cost him much more going forward. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good work. Thanks very much, Ann. A Gastown art gallery is on the hunt for a bronze horse sculpture they say was taken during a power outage. The gallery George on West Hastings says it was broken into at around 8 last night while the power was out on their block. The front glass door was smashed and a life-size bronze horse head was taken from its pedestal. The gallery says the piece of art is worth nearly $20,000 and weighs more than 200 pounds. Getting it into the gallery, we had a hydraulic lift, uh, very strong men to get it onto its pedestal. So it was, it, was, it was definitely planned. To have, you know, one of our dear artists have uh, his work stolen is really, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Mura says the incident was reported to police and the gallery is planning to start a fundraiser to help pay for the cost of repairs and improve security.
Up ahead, BC's exoskeleton expertise. I couldn't imagine um, living the rest of my life in a wheelchair. How research at SFU gives new hope to those with spinal injuries, allowing them to walk again. And the stuffed monkey that's become this dog's best friend later. Good evening and some good news here in Surrey. Final clearing stages of a rollover crash eastbound on 100th Avenue just east of 152nd Street. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. Trish, was in a global one. High above a crash in Surrey. There is more reaction today to exclusive reporting by Global News about the threats on Canadian soil posed by the Iranian regime. An alarming number of their affiliates are believed to be living and operating in Canada. Negar Moshtahedi broke the story about the dangers that dissidents here face. And tonight, reports on their continuing quest for justice. It was a simple enough question. Prime Minister, will you commit to listing the IRGC as a terrorist entity? Only the Prime Minister didn't really answer it. We continue to watch and make sure that we're able to do everything we can that is responsible against the impact of the IRGC. With all due respect, uh, Prime Minister, the people who spoke to us, you know, they said that they risked their lives just to speak to us, and they are desperate for a direct answer from you. Will you list the IRGC or commit to listing the IRGC as a terrorist entity, yes or no? We will continue to do everything necessary, both to hold that regime to account, to limit its impact around the world, and to protect Canadians. Regrettably, he never has an answer. This human rights lawyer says the Trudeau government needs to talk less and do more. It's really a mystery as to what else the IRGC needs to do to be listed as a terror group. The IRGC has a documented record of killing Canadians and killing people of other nationalities besides, you know, the repression of home. In 2020, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, shot down Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752, killing all 176 people on board, including 55 Canadians and 30 permanent residents. Just this weekend, Global News reported that there's evidence of upwards of 700 regime-linked people on Canadian soil. The Prime Minister has been promising to deal with them. Here he is in October of last year. Those people responsible now will never be forgotten, will never be allowed into Canada. But it wasn't enough to prevent this man from coming to Canada. He's a former senior minister in the regime, and he was spotted in Montreal in the background of a TV news report on Quebec tourism in August. On his Canadian vacation, he reportedly threatened a Canadian citizen. Hamid Ismailiyoun. Ismailiyoun's wife and daughter were killed in the downing of Flight 752. And that former regime official? He was part of the same administration that killed Hamid Ismailiyoun's family. So how do people like him get in? There are major gaps in the system, gaps that a lot of regime officials are falling through. They're able to come to Canada and live comfortably. Those regime officials may be comfortable in Canada. People like Hamid Ismailiyoun? who came to Canada to escape them, aren't. Negar Moshehri, Global News. An exoskeleton that allows people with mobility challenges to move freely is being touted as the world's most advanced, and it was made right here in B.C. 
As Alyssa Tebow shows us, what makes the exomotion different than other exoskeletons that came before is all in the range of motion. Every step Chloe Angus takes is a moment of joy. This feels so good. Angus is a paraplegic. While on a run in 2015, her back started aching, followed by tingling in her toes. Doctors found an inoperable tumour in her spine. It had pinched off the nerves below my waist and I was going to be paralysed for the rest of my life. They said I would never walk again. Numerous Google searches put her in touch with Dr. Siamak Azampour at Simon Fraser University. He and his business partner were developing a state-of-the-art exoskeleton. In our exoskeleton, we covered all the ranges of motions and degrees of freedom that a user needs for um, doing all those complex manoeuvres. Controlled by a handheld device, the robot can be instructed to turn on the spot, walk side to side, backwards. How do you like those <laughs> it can even let Angus dance. This is me. So the machine follows the motion of my body through a series of sensors and it detects um, what I want to do. Since joining the team at Human in Motion Robotics, Angus has travelled the world showcasing the exoskeleton, saying it makes her feel like her old self. The day that I stood up and I walked across our lab and my husband happened to come around the corner to see me that day and I walked up to him and I gave him a big hug and, and I just said, honey, <laughs> I'm back. A rehab clinic trial is starting soon in Toronto and it's hoped that will lead to Health Canada approval. The exoskeleton could be on the market late next year or early 2025. We are going to prove the safety uh, in the rehab setting, which is a controlled environment. And then after we gathered enough data, we are going to start uh, building our uh, personal use. The team's goal is for users like Angus to be able to walk independently everywhere. I can't wait to have an exoskeleton under my Christmas tree. <laughs> Alyssa Tebow, Global News. Oh, cool. Still ahead, a stuffed monkey becomes the talk of a Nova Scotia town. So at the very least, if we find monkey's family, we're going to be asking for shared custody. How the dog that found it in a ditch doesn't want to let it go. And Premier David Eby gives a shout-out to B.C. superstar Ryan Reynolds, now a member of the Order of B.C. It's cold out there. Cold, but some bonus sunshine today, too. That took the edge off just a little bit, Christy. Absolutely. When I was walking home from school with Braden, I was noticing that. If in the, in the shade, it's definitely chilly. In the sunshine, not too bad. That's the pattern really over the next couple of days. The system driving out, we've got clear skies on the way for much of southern BC, but it is going to be chilly, especially at night. So tonight and again tomorrow night, we're expecting lows of zero degrees. So give yourself a little bit of extra time tomorrow morning. You'll likely have to scrape your windshield and there could be a little bit of patchy fog. So you may need to slow down on the roads. Not the case for the North Coast region. We've got heavy rain on the way, especially through the latter part of the day tomorrow. And it's snowfall for the inland regions because of that 
that cold air mass that we've caught across the province. So wet and windy along the coast, snowy for the inland regions, and that's the case for Thursday and Friday. Meanwhile, southern BC will continue with two days of sunshine. These are the areas that have the potential for snow, by the way, and it includes Pine Pass. So if you're traveling up towards BC Peace River area, certainly expect snowfall. These are the areas with overnight lows uh, down below zero, and we're going to see a little bit of outflow. So areas like Squamish will likely see wind chills down to about minus six overnight because of those winds. Wet and windy, there you go, across the north coast region. Sunshine across southern BC. And these temperatures, by the way, are just slightly below seasonal for this time of year. So a high of only seven degrees in metro Vancouver, which is what we're going to see tomorrow. Typical for this time of year is about eight. So we're not too far off, although it does definitely feel chilly. On Saturday at this point, we're expecting periods of rain, but at least we've got a couple of days of sunshine and it looks like we're back to sunshine on Sunday. All right, tonight, central windows weather window coming to you from Powell River. I love this shot because it's so perfect for fall where you get tons of logs, of course, from the fall storms pushing them up on the shore and you can see the fall colors as well. Okay. Buying a flannel shirt too. You can't, you know, that's as fall as it gets. Yeah, no kidding. Exactly. Thanks, Christy. Well, he's a world-famous movie star, sports team owner, and entrepreneur, and now Ryan Reynolds can add recipient of the Order of BC to his resume. Check it out. The Vancouver Rays star was back in the city and joined the Lieutenant Governor and Premier for his induction into the Order in a private ceremony. In a social media post, David Eby says Reynolds exemplifies the best of BC with his big heart and the use of his platform to make the world a better place. And I happen to know his mom, Tammy, watches the Global News Hour. So, Tammy, you raised a good one if you happen to be watching tonight. Well, he's got two others, too, right? Two that's right. Others? Yeah. So I'm sure they're all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's boy. pretty funny, too. That's right. All right, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. It's uh, You can go home again, or at least to a place that was home. Well, for one night anyway. <laughs> Actually, they were here yesterday, the Islanders, so Bo Horvat walked around the city, and it's his first game in Vancouver since he was traded to the Islanders last January. You know, uh, I started my family here. I played nine years here, and, and just, uh, you know, the city's done a lot of great things for me and my family. It's weird seeing him in an Islanders uniform still. Not sure how the fans react, but considering all he did during his time here by rights, it should be a warm welcome. Also tonight, a mischievous monkey and his four-legged pal, the talk of this Nova Scotia town. Bo knows Vancouver. Mm -hmm. He does, and it's the other way around as well. They know Bo. Now, hopefully they don't boo him tonight. Uh, see that picture right beside me? All five of the players in this picture will be playing tonight at Rogers Arena, except for one of them, the guy wearing the C back then. Uh, he won't be wearing a Canuck uniform. He'll be wearing an Islander uniform. Yes, the former captain of the Vancouver Canucks is returning for his one game at Rogers Arena this season. He, of course, became an Islander back in January. It's the Islanders in Vancouver Canucks here at Rogers Arena. And yes, the anticipated return of Bo Horvat. Horvat spending nearly a decade here in Vancouver, playing over 600 games, 201 goals, 420 points. And of course, he wore the C for this franchise. But it's that one comment that he made earlier this year for the New York Islanders, which we're about to find out if Vancouver Canuck fans are going to hold against Bo when he steps on the ice tonight. How does this 
rank for you in playoff pushes the excitement of this building and the fans involvement over the last couple of games yeah i mean it's been unbelievable it's a lot better than vancouver i'll tell you that for free i mean honestly i was just more upset of just how my situation was handled last year it's kind of you know what i was upset about and you know it just felt good to uh you know to be wanted somewhere and and, and appreciated and, and i know i know that you know the fans appreciated me here a lot but it just felt nice to to be appreciated by you know that organization and and you know i think you know for me um just how it was all handled last year was was upsetting and and uh, but i mean i couldn't be happier to be on my own what's your one message to the i mean honestly just thanks for all your support over the years to, for me you know i mean you know they you know when we were going through our tough times a lot of like, a lot of fans supported me and and uh, and stuck by my side all these years and I mean I appreciate that and even when I walked the streets yesterday I was still getting I didn't get beat up so that was good <laughs> yeah. uh, people were actually happy you know no no exactly not yet anyway uh, who knows what's going to happen tonight but no matter what happens booze no booze um, you know I think I just appreciate what the city and what the uh, you know what this organization's done for me Horvat and the Islanders have lost five straight hockey games and only one point above Columbus for last in the Metropolitan Division. Of course, your Vancouver Canucks back from that three-game Eastern road trip. They won in Ottawa, lost in Toronto, and then won in Montreal. Four very important points for the Vancouver Canucks. And if they win tonight, they're tied with the Vegas Golden Knights for first in the Pacific. I like consistency, so I think the players today want consistency, you know. Um, and I felt this team is consistent. And even their personalities, it's, it's pretty well the same after a win or a loss, which is, which is a good thing, I think, in the long run. Rick Tockett telling us that it looks like Carson Soucy's gone upwards of six weeks, maybe as long as eight weeks. So Mark Friedman is going to draw back in on the blue line for the Vancouver Canucks. Following tonight's game, the Canucks are in Calgary on Thursday and then back here Saturday night when they host the Seattle Kraken. With your ringside report, Jay Janower, Global Sports. Okay, getting back to Bo Horvat for a second. His old friends know him best, and they are hoping that the fans tonight are as happy to see Bo Horvat as they are. Bo Horvat has a lot of respect from his old teammates, especially having to be the captain when the uh, Canucks ship was sinking. I think the reaction should be, um, you know, really good. I think people should welcome him and celebrate him on his return. And he put in nine really good years here, and he was always solid, never complained, was a great leader. You know, it wasn't always the easiest years, and he always, you know, stepped right in front of it. So A lot of influence outside the rink. And, um, you know, he, every single day it seemed like no matter what, he was very even keel talking to the media, you know, talking to his teammates, and uh, just a really good teammate. At the end of the day, I mean, you can't really say much more about a guy. Um, you know, it's going to be good to see him out there. You know, we expect him to be flying, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, he is, ever since day one I got in here, um, he's always helped me and uh, always been a guy I could talk to. Uh, my first year, my English wasn't the best, but, uh, I mean, he always was, he was always a guy I could talk to whenever, so... Um, yeah, great hockey player, but a uh, better person. I want to show you this from last night, Warriors and Timberwolves. For the fifth time in his career, Draymond Green has been suspended this time for five games for his version of the rear naked chokehold on Rudy Gobert. Now, Gobert was kind of going after Clay Thompson, so I guess Draymond Green felt, I'm the enforcer, I'm the protector. I'm going to take the wind out of you for a few seconds, and now he's off the floor for five more games. Never a dull moment with Draymond. There you go. Hate to see it. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Just ahead, a dog and his pal monkeying around in Nova Scotia. You'll see what we mean next.
Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, BC Ferries wants public feedback as it charts a course for the future. We'll tell you how you can take part. And Santa Claus will be wearing several different hats this year when he visits Metrotown. The mall will feature four different versions of the Jolly Man in Red, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle, Global Santa, and Tropical Santa. We'll explain what that's all about at 11. Sophie? I want to be tropical Sophie, but thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Got to leave a rum punch for him over Christmas Eve, I guess. All right, now to the story about a found stuffed monkey and a dog and how the photogenic pair are taking Nova Scotia by storm. While searching for the rightful owner, the two have formed a positively adorable bond. Indy the Lab is one curious pup. No, 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 no. So when she let her owner into a ditch... No, 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 no. She insisted on bringing Monkey home, so we got Monkey into the house, and the first thing we needed to do was get Monkey into a bath because Monkey really snagged. So, in search of the owner, the pair, or judging by the pictures, maybe just the owner, posted looking for the monkey's chimpanzee. But the four-year-old lab has gone ape for the monkey. In a silly way, we would feel kind of... Yeah, like we were missing someone if we didn't have Monkey anymore. So at the very least, if we find Monkey's family, we're going to be asking for shared custody. The goal is to find the owner of the lost Monkey, who's thought to be missing for quite some time. Since fostering with the Hamptons, the chimpanzee isn't always so well-behaved. The furry friend does its share of monkeying around. Monkey isn't always incredibly well-behaved. We've had, you know, swinging off my chandeliers and banana peels where you wouldn't expect to find banana peels, but uh, we're, we're learning to live with monkey. Good girl. Okay, this way. This way. Come on. Let's go. Hampton says the two spend all day together, be it relaxing in bed or enjoying the first snowfall. The pair have become the craze of the St. Margaret's Bay Area, which is still looking for the rightful owner. Zach Power, Global News, Glen Haven, Nova Scotia. So cute. Pretty cute. All right, before we let you go, a big night for our newsroom at the Jack Webster Journalism Awards last night. Yes, Sarah McDonald and photojournalist Clayton Little won for Best News Reporting of the Year for the tragic story of Noelle Soup, the 14-year-old girl failed by the system at all levels. Reporter Paul Johnson and photojournalist Cody Chaban were recognized for excellence in health reporting for their work to show how doctor-prescribed opioids were being diverted into the street trade. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. And it was a big celebration. And we made a big fuss over Sophie because she was presented with the Shelley Freilich Award, which honors a female journalist who demonstrates leadership, in her profession and her community. And you <laughs> exemplify all of those things. So congratulations. You'd see me blushing if I weren't wearing so much makeup. <laughs> We're very proud oh. of you. But bring the trophy Absolutely. tomorrow. I want to see it. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bring yeah. it. I'll bring, bring it. Bring the trophy. <laughs> Thanks well for watching, everyone. So. Have a good night. Thanks to you all. Good night. Good night.